Warning. The podcast you are about to experience may contain content that isn't suitable for younger audiences. So, if any of you feel that you do not care to subject your nerves to such a strain, now is your chance to... Well, we've warned you. Welcome to Villainology, a podcast revolving around our favorite personifications of humanity's darker side, and what truly makes them the scourge of their respective worlds. I am your host, Rob Mobley, and we hope you weren't summoned here by the ghost of your father, and if you were, I swear I didn't do it. For those of you that are new here, the basic idea is that I present each guest an opportunity to discuss at length someone who is widely considered to be a villain and to offer their own personal insight as to why they find them so intriguing. These opinions are totally subjective, and I find that hearing the thoughts of other people on someone you either love to hate or hate to love helps to better understand these characters as a whole. Our guest today is someone who I first met while traversing the interdimensional plains via a portal near Pennsylvania Station in Manhattan, and by that I mean we performed together in an immersive art installation called Zero Space. They are one hell of an actor, and an even more brilliant Lord of the Rings buff, Aaron Mello Pryor. Welcome to the show. Thank you, glad to be here. What do you look for in a good villain? I think I want access to their thoughts. I want to know why they do the terrible things that they do, and I want uh, layers. I want to. I want more than twiddling thumbs and cackling laughter. In your opinion, we know that Shakespeare wrote so many eternal villains that continue to to inspire a lot of modern villains today. What was it about his style of writing, his artistry, that made these villains so immortal? I think it's the fact that we have such unfettered access to their thought process. And it's the fact that often in these plays, the villains are the ones that the audience has the most connection to because they're the, the villains are the ones that reach out to the audience the most because they're the ones that need the most understanding. Tell us, Aaron Mello Pryor, which villain have you chosen? Well, I decided to pick a villain... Slightly uh, against the grain of what most even Shakespeare villains are, and I have chosen the King of Denmark, the Royal Dane, Claudius. Tis sweet and commendable in your nature, Hamlet, to give these morning duties to your father. But you must know your father lost a father. That father lost, lost his. And the survivor bound in filial obligation for some term to do obsequious sorrow. But to persevere in obstinate condolement is a cause of impious stubbornness. Tis unmanly grief. It shows a will most incorrect to heaven, a heart unfortified, a mind impatient, an understanding simple and unschooled for what we know must be. And is as common as any of the most vulgar thing to sense. Why should we, in our peevish opposition, take it to heart? Fine. Tis a fault to heaven. A fault against the dead. A fault to nature, to reason, most absurd, whose common theme is death of fathers, and who still hath cried from the first corpse till he that died today. This must be so. We pray you, throw to earth this unprevailing woe. 
and think of us as of a father. For let the world take note. You are the most immediate to our throne. So why Claudius? Well, for one, I figured if I'm coming on this podcast, I have to talk about something that I know a good deal about, and that narrows it pretty quickly to Shakespeare. And with, uh, <laughs> it's really the only thing that I can talk about for any length of time with any proficiency. And I figured I should pick a play that I know really very well, and that narrows it even more quickly to Hamlet, and that leads us to Claudius. Although there is an argument that Claudius is not the only villain, or in fact, maybe not really the villain at all in Hamlet. Go on. Well, there is an argument, I would say, a lot of the time in exploring something like Hamlet, you would come to the conclusion that the true villain, if the protagonist is Hamlet, the villain is also Hamlet, and he is his own most enemy. Then, of course, the most obvious villain in the story is Claudius, because he's the murderer, and he tells us he's the murderer. But I think there is also an argument that the ghost is indeed the villain. Ooh. And that the ghost is not who he presents himself to be. So you don't think it's Hamlet's father? You, th- you think it's somebody else or something I think it possibly else? is Hamlet's father. It certainly could be, but uh, it is entirely possible. And throughout the play, they are continually questioning the nature and the honesty of the ghost. And that is really what sends Hamlet into a tailspin and why he goes through all of these convoluted plans before he even gets around to thinking about Claudius's murder because he has to, for himself, confirm that the ghost is in fact his father. So what if it isn't? And the ghost's plan is to send Hamlet down this tailspin in order to damn him because that's Hamlet's really greatest fear throughout this play is what happens after death, and what happens when you're damned. And if the ghost is in fact the devil, you end up with six bodies at the end of the play, as opposed to what you would hope for, the one that is Claudius. And I'd say if it is the devil, he did a damn good job at fucking with Hamlet to the point where he's got six new souls to drag down to hell with him. So I know that in many productions, the actor playing Claudius will typically double as the ghost, Mm -hmm. What are the implications with that artistic choice? That's a really interesting doubling because then it calls into question Hamlet's own perception of his father and his uncle because you have this whole exchange with his mother about comparing King Hamlet to Claudius and how it's like comparing Hyperion to a satyr or Hamlet to Hercules. And he goes on this huge rant about how different they are and how marvelous King Hamlet was and how Claudius pales in comparison. But when they're played by the same person and are therefore literally identical in every way, that calls into question just how biased his opinion is. Do you think that despite the way he acquired the title of king, do you think he was a good king? I think yes, honestly. That's one of the major things that you can compare between King Hamlet and Claudius is the way that they governed. King Hamlet was a wartime king, and that's part of the reason why he appears in arms when he does show up as the ghost, is that as the king, he was fighting a war against Norway. And we hear about all of that, and that's where all the drama with Fortinbras comes in. Mm -hmm. But Claudius, when threatened with war again, is able to completely quell that with a single letter to the king of Norway. 
He's a diplomat. So you have the wartime king versus the peacetime diplomat king. And I think that Claudius is really effective in that job. And he's able to, you know, keep all those juggling balls in the air. And it's also curious with the queen being so in love with him that if he truly were like a, a warlord of a fear mongering dictator, there would have been hints of, of fear with her, I feel, yeah. but it's all pure devotion and love. And there's, there's nothing but praise when it comes from her about him. So it's, it's curious that literally the only person in the kingdom that has any sort of malice towards Claudius is Hamlet himself. Right. But then if you examine this kind of relationship between Claudius and Gertrude, it can kind of give you a little of insight into the kind of relationship that Gertrude had with King Hamlet. Because even in the way that Hamlet describes the relationship between his parents, he says that King Hamlet would not wish the winds meet her face too roughly, I'm paraphrasing here. And that's kind of a very different relationship than we see Gertrude have with Claudius. That Claudius is seeking for her opinion and asking for her advice, as opposed to King Hamlet, who was kind of protecting her and keeping her in a little glass jar on the shelf, as opposed to Claudius, right. who is treating her as an equal and as a partner. Would you consider, in spite of everything that we've discussed, that Claudius might be a sociopath? No, I don't think he is. I think it's very telling that he is one of the very few villains that shows remorse. And there's a, I mean, this is a play absolutely saturated in religion and in Christianity. And it's very interesting that one of the major themes that goes throughout it is about repentance and forgiveness and where, how far repentance has to go before it is able to turn into forgiveness. And that's really Claudius's internal dialogue that he has, that monologue where he's trying to pray and failing because he feels this regret for what he's done. But then he says how... Can I repent for what I've done when I still have all of the effects for which I did the murder? In your opinion, we talked earlier about why Shakespeare's villains tend to endure. But what do you think in particular Shakespeare was trying to say with Claudius? I think it is a lot about the difference between earthly and heavenly forgiveness and justice. And that's something that Claudius himself also brings up in that same monologue, is that you can get away with things on Earth, like the murder that he's committed, but all of that immediately comes out as soon as you die and are brought up against the heavenly judgment. And I think it's that kind of dichotomy that this is a, a, a very, very religious play, and it's, it's almost like this is kind of Shakespeare's morality play, in a way, and Claudius is kind of the linchpin between repentance and forgiveness and which way the scales can tip. And that brings up an interesting point. I mean, at the end of the day, do you think Claudius was justified in what he did? Do you think in spite of, yeah, he committed murder, but for the betterment of the kingdom and for the family, do you think there is a level of justification there? Well, considering how quickly the family went to shit after that murder occurred, I would say probably not that <laughs> I don't think that plan worked out very well. Um, I don't think he would be justified. Personally, I think that his main motive for the murder is, in fact, Gertrude. And kind of the ambition and the crown that comes along with it is kind of icing on the cake, and he enjoys all that, and he is a good king. But I don't think that King Hamlet was such a bad king that it warranted regicide. And it really should have been, even if there was a regicide, the kingdom really should have gone to Hamlet. 
and he could have had Gertrude and given the crown to Hamlet. Well, in that case, do you think Hamlet would have ended up being a good king? I think he has, there are like little glimmers of hope for Hamlet. I think that, as Fortinbras says at the end, had he been tried on, he would have proved most royally. He would have taken a long time to get anything done with his little... (laughs) 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 Yeah, he would have taken forever to make any decisions whatsoever. But yeah, I do think Hamlet would have been a good king. I mean, he certainly is. He's got the brains and is clearly witty enough and cunning enough to pull off the crown. But he's just that one track mind. Like all he wants to do is kill Claudius. But I mean, yeah, it's it's I mean, clearly this play has been done thousands of times. Yes, I watched Uh, five this week. Good night. Well, uh, well, that leads to my question. What would you consider the finest, the best adaptation of this play? That's a really difficult question, because even in the watchings that I was doing now, really focusing on Claudius and the different adaptations and the approaches that the actors took, all of the adaptations are so different. And one of the reasons that Hamlet keeps being produced again and 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 again is because there are so many ridiculous layers to it that every time you read the play, different things come up. And so every production pulls different things out of the script to emphasize and to focus on. So depending on what you get out of the play, you're going to have a different production that really reaches out to you. Of the five that I have recently watched and, you know, a couple others that I didn't get around to but I've seen recently, my favorites that have been the last two that I've watched this week have been the RSC's 2009 adaptation with David Tennant and Patrick Stewart. Oh, sure. Uh, because, I mean, yes. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just yes Can't to everything. Can't go wrong there. Yeah. <laughs> and then also, I was very lucky that while I was living in London, I saw two productions of Hamlet. I think it was just the two. Both really fabulous. But the one that most often comes to my mind is the production with Papa Essiedu as Hamlet. Oh. And I was able to find a recording of that of an earlier version than what I had seen while I was in London. And... That was a really emotional one. That one really hits you in the gut. So what were the differences in the performance then between those two shows of Claudius? Mm, Yes. So it was really interesting between the two of them, between Patrick Stewart and Clarence Smith, that they really were very, very different Claudiuses. And they you kind of saw different sides to them, that Patrick Stewart is a very cool Claudius, that even when he is affected by the mousetrap play, he's very cool and it focuses his attention on Hamlet. And in the production with David Tennant, he literally stands, walks across the stage to Hamlet and just shakes his head and leaves. And that's when you know, okay, Hamlet has fucked up and now Claudius has a new crusade. But in uh, the version with Papa Essiedu and Clarence Smith, Smith is much more emotional, and he's actually a lot closer to the Hamlet that I think it's really overlooked in studying Hamlet that Claudius is a foil for Hamlet. They are the two characters that operate the most similarly. Mm -hmm. And you see the way that they operate their plans and everything and the way that they think and the way that they speak. They are really the two closest characters to each other. And I think that's where a lot of the conflict between them comes up, because they're just too similar. There was one moment in Clarence Smith's performance at the very end, in the middle of the fencing fight, and Gertrude goes to drink to Hamlet. And 
from the other side of the stage, Claudius just shouts, stops everything, and says, Gertrude, do not drink. Willing to give everything up in that moment in order to stop Gertrude. Mm-hmm. Literally blow the whole show just to keep her from drinking the poison. And then Gertrude, reading correctly what's going on, knowingly drinks the poison. <sighs> <laughs> so, you know, the difference between the very cool and calculating king versus the murder committed in the heat of the moment for love. Sure. I think, I mean, I, I remember the first adaptation I ever saw was the Kenneth Branagh, Derek Jacobi mm-hmm. version of it. And I remember Jacobi's performance in particular being one that was, I mean, f- I mean first off, that, that, that man has such laser focus with his eyes when it comes to his acting. So anytime you would see him do a stare down with Branna, who is equally just as laser focused, it's like it's you almost don't want them to say anything at all. It's just a staring contest at that point between the two of them. Yeah, I, I do remember that was like the first one of the first big Shakespeare villains. I mm-hmm. was like, yes, that one I watched probably within a year or so. But that one I didn't kind of include in my survey for this just because it's too long. Because it's it is like the very only, long. yeah, because it's like the only completely uncut version of Hamlet that is out there. And there's a reason for that because it's four hours long and it's very difficult to get through. Yes. But um, I think that's going to, I'm probably just going to continue my survey of Hamlets and just keep watching them because five Hamlets later, five Hamlets and three days, and I'm not bored yet. <laughs> Something that I'm really very interested in, especially now that we've talked about how Claudius and Hamlet, how similar they are to each other, is that I found a version of Hamlet that I didn't know existed, that in uh, the 80s, the BBC did pretty much the entire canon of Shakespeare, like very straightforward, very like the perfect thing to watch in school, your introduction to these plays. And Derek Jacobi played Hamlet in this 1980 BBC version of Hamlet. So now I want to like go back and rewatch that because I watched that like the day before yesterday, and then watch him play Claudius and see how those characters have a conversation with each other, one actor and, you know, 30 years apart. Yeah, I mean, at that point, you're like, you've studied the Hamlet role for probably years, and then just to switch over and do the other side of it is probably going to be a trip for any actor out Mm -hmm. there. And actually, in that version, Patrick Stewart was also Claudius, so I saw Patrick Stewart do Claudius. Oh, my God. He has hair in that version. It was so unnerving to see Patrick Stewart with hair. See, now I feel like I can't watch that because then it will just shatter any and all ideas of just the perfect bald Patrick Stewart, <laughs> in my opinion. To me, he just was born bald and just continued to be that until today. Yeah, honestly, it was a little upsetting. I was like, oh my God, this is a different human. But it was really interesting to see these, like the 30 years of evolution of Claudius and what was so important to his version of the character that he kept 30 years later and what, you know, changed and grew in his understanding and also how much hair he lost. (laughs) (laughs) Final thoughts. What does Claudius mean to you personally? I don't know. I think there is a certain tie that I have to him. I think because of the religious aspect, especially in this play and that desire for repentance and forgiveness and acknowledging the faults and wanting to move on from them, but not necessarily being able to get out of that rut. I think it's not only an interesting villain, but also a really sympathetic person. And I think 
it's fascinating that he is among this cast of characters, all of whom do horrible wrongs to each other, and all of whom are sorry and apologize to each other. I mean, in the entire play, Ophelia is the only person that doesn't fuck up, and she is just tossed around and treated as a prop and, you know, goes to her doom that way, but everyone else fucks up and then tries to do better. And I think having Claudius, having the villain of the play among that cast of characters is really telling. Aaron, thank you so much for being on the show. This was fun. I'm going to leave a link to a list of Black Lives Matter resources in the description below. You all know that it's Black History Month, but it isn't enough to simply learn from our past. We all have to make steps to ensure that that past doesn't repeat itself. Did you have anything you wanted to add, Aaron? This is a month for us to educate ourselves and to listen. So listen the fuck up. Yep. Couldn't have said it better (laughs) myself. (laughs) Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Ross Lampert, for composing the theme song to this podcast. He's a brilliant guy, and if any of you out there are in the market for any music production needs, head over to his website at daggerandink.com. And thank you, listener, for carving out a little bit of time for us today. If you like this show, please follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Villainology Podcast and on Twitter at Villainology Pod. I'm also on Twitch about three times a week playing all sorts of games, and I'd love to hang out with you all. So come follow me at twitch.tv backslash Rob underscore Mobley. Feel free to give us a review if you like what we're doing and drop us a comment on who you'd like to see discussed next. And hopefully we'll see you next time. Stay foolish, mortals. Ha, 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 ha.